Welcome to the Weekly Trend, a podcast for navigating the markets through the lens of technical analysis. The Weekly Trend podcast is provided for educational purposes only and does not constitute any professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the information or content without first seeking advice from a registered financial planner. Welcome back to the Weekly Trend podcast. Today is Friday, January 8th. We're recording this pre-market close. S&P 500 is currently sitting at 38.12. I'm David Zarling. I'm here with the ambassador for bringing back Apple Fig Newtons, Ian McMillan. It's the new year. It's 2021. 2020 was obviously pretty eventful, but this is our first recording in the new year. We delivered a podcast in the new year, but this is our first recording. And timing-wise, during that period, we've covered the Santa Claus rally that was first found by Stock Traders Almanac, Yale Hirsch. How do we end up with the Santa Claus rally? That was positive, which is a good sign. I don't know if there's really any metric if you need to see it a certain percent positive or, I mean, I think you just want it to be green. It's really more significant if it's not positive than, you know, it's, if we're only up half a percent, that doesn't mean any more than if we were up a full percent. Right. But exactly. if, if that period was negative, that's um, really what we were looking out for. So we've avoided the first, I guess, we'll say barometer of the year. Next, I think is, is it like the first 10 days of January a thing? Yeah, there's, there's the first five days in January. And then there's the whole month of January. So and there's, the, yeah, the January barometer is the full month. Right. And so like for the first five days, it's, it's something, it, it's almost, it has an 85% hit rate. So if the first five days of the so year. That would be this up, week. Right, right. We'd be finishing it up this week. And if, and if the first five days of the year are up, S&P average gain for the year is a, approximately 15 percent um it's okay it's it's not like it, as we always talk about seasonality that's not a guarantee it's just you know and and really it's less reliable you know if the first five days of january are down it's not the end of the world it's really you know a 50 50 proposition at that point whether the year is going to be positive or negative or has the has that potential and then the january barometer like what you're talking about that's the one that's pretty incredible at the same time i think it makes a lot of sense that if january is positive almost 90 percent of the time that means there's a positive return for the year in the s&p 500 wow you know on the on the on the flip side if it's negative and there's only actually there's only one year with this exception since 1950 2016 actually that if it, january was down it preceded a flat market a 10% correction or an extended bear market. So that was only a year where January was negative and that didn't happen. So huh. again, seasonality, not a guarantee or future returns. We pay attention to it just like we pay attention to the Santa Claus rally or different periods of the year, right? We talked, I remember us, it, it feels like yesterday we we're talking back in October about the upcoming seasonality that was upon us during the, yeah. the strongest six months of the year. And so here we are almost halfway through and January happens to be one of those months that also has strong seasonality. 
despite, yeah. you know, this was an eventful week from, uh, you know, that there's a lot of information on TV, the, the events in Washington, DC, and, and Ian, you've talked about this before markets like to climb a wall of worry. What do you think about this? I think they do obviously plenty of drama and hyperbole to go around this week. A lot of people absolutely astonished. A lot of people in the media astonished that stocks could be up. I think the Russell 2000 was up like two, two and a half percent the day they stormed the Capitol. Oh, um, right. Stocks were stocks were yeah. up the day and, they stormed. So, yeah. And people just continue to tie these. I I don't know what I don't know what protesters in Washington D.C has to do with people buying and selling stocks or, you know, from, if you want to take the fundamental view, is that, is that affecting corporate earnings? Is that affecting how many iPhones are sold? Is that, you know, are small businesses or are they, are they making business decisions based around people breaking into the Capitol building? I don't, I don't think so. If you are making portfolio or are portfolio managers making decisions based on that? I would hope well, not. And, well, and I, I mean, we're up another two percent since then. Right, and it's been a very strong week. I think stocks are. I mean, the for the week, stocks are up very, very nicely. Well, and it, so, and it wasn't like January six was a, was a mystery, as far as what the market could know ahead of time. And I'm not saying that the market knew the the capital would get stormed, but whenever you have a rally of people showing up on the on a day where they're counting electoral votes in an election that's highly contested. I'm not going to go down the political route of this. We we all agree that the, the election was highly contested, which included sending dual electors for seven states. Do we get to be surprised? I mean it's it's not I don't know. It it's one of those things where, like you said, are you really making decisions on that? And I don't I also at the same time don't get to I don't think we get to sit there and say, oh, that wasn't priced in. I got a fair amount of texts from family and friends about how can the market be up today? Well, we still have a country. We still have democracy unfolding. Our republic is still here. Until we're below a certain level in S&P 500. Yeah, so I, I, don't, don't, I don't know. I don't know what what we need to should do. Should we just have sold? Should we just have sold all of our holdings and gone to cash? Because, you know, even though everyone else is still buying i i don't i don't know what to tell you but yes many people are flabbergasted obviously we sent a memo out to clients the following morning um just to be like hey this is another great example of why we don't let this stuff affect how we make decisions in the portfolio right i know again i know watching the news is again i think that a lot of it is hyperbole. I understand why some people are nervous or scared or think that this is the worst thing. I don't know. We had protests all summer. So I don't know right. why all of a sudden it's a big deal. I won't, again, I won't, I won't go down that route, but. Um, well, and, it, and it's unique too, from the standpoint, at least in Wisconsin, where, where I'm from, it, the people busting into the Capitol or present, you know, going into the Capitol in protest has happened in Madison, our capital city, 
several times in the past years. And, and so for, I think, I think for Wisconsinites, it's not as dramatic as, as maybe what it looks like on a national scale. Again, I don't want to downplay it. I understand, like you said, I understand, you know, the issues at hand and that it can look pretty dramatic. And in, in some cases is dramatic. I mean, there's a claim of loss of life involved in this. I don't want to downplay that. I'm not selling, you know, I'm not selling emerging market stocks or, you know, semiconductors because there is a big brawl in Washington, DC. I don't, I don't know, but we'll move on. Yeah, we can, Um, we will, we'll we'll move move on. on. I I think it's important to highlight, uh, like you said, in the update to clients, it's the same thing with the presidential election, whoever your favorite person was or wasn't, Stocks could do the opposite thing than you thought. Same thing with this situation. Stocks can do whatever they, I mean, stocks really, the market does not care what we think. It just doesn't. So where, what are some areas that we should be paying attention to? I mean, I'd say small caps obviously have, are off to a great start. In fact, off the, I think off the November lows, S&P up 18%. Russell 2000 up almost twice as much as that, like 33, 34%. And then they led, they've led this first week of January. Obviously, banks have helped like with that a lot. Interest rates did finally. Yeah, from compression comes break, expansion. Yeah, that, that got the move that we thought we would see. That's the move um, of the week, I, I think. With, I think with- it's pretty important. And we'd seen a lot of the... Rates had moved sideways, but a lot of the stronger regional banks had actually continued to grind higher. I think that that was somewhat of a foreshadowing and a clue that there was a above average chance that rates would end up breaking out. So right. yeah, I would say that that's, and materials, things, I mean, value, energy, financials, and basic materials, chemicals, in the kind of the infrastructure type areas. Yeah. And I think going back to, to very the, strong. the interest rate thing, uh, you know, with treasuries and we'll get into this in the extended portion so that I'll throw that little sneak peek in there that I know that you and I remember a time where earlier in the earlier in 2020, people were talking about a, a retest in stocks, retesting lows from March. But hardly anybody was talking about the fact that treasuries could be making a, a double top. And here we are at the beginning yeah. of 2021, and we've got interest rates breaking out and all those areas that you just mentioned finding, I mean, that's a, that's a tailwind for, for that. And so it's, it's interesting. And I think that ties into some of what we're seeing with the dollar and cryptocurrencies and things internationally. You want to touch base on anything in, in those areas? I mean, really, it's everything internationally, uh, Asia, Europe, all of it. Very, very, very strong Latin America. Probably of those three, I would actually say Europe is strongest of those three. Japan's been very strong. Germany breaking out too. I think the DAX is above 14,000 at all-time highs. Yeah, uh, European banks continue to look good. And I when's mean, the last time we've been talking about something like that? Something like European financials I mean, doing I, well 
and even on a relative basis, I mean, that's a pretty big sea change in trend if that were to stick than what we've and seen over the past four to five years, maybe I even said longer. This yesterday on, I said this yesterday on Twitter and I will go ahead and say it on there, on here. I think based over what's happened as we rebounded out through 2020 and in particular Q4, Q4, 2020, and so far, you know, I know we're a week into 2021, but I think that the price thrusts, the breadth thrusts that we've seen globally there is more than enough evidence that shows this is different than 2016. And I do think that we are much, much closer to the beginning of a global uptrend. Now we know U.S. stocks have been in, a, in an uptrend. I know the last two years have been choppy, but stocks have been up. It's been, it's been a while, but internationally, stocks have really, truly been sideways for two, three I mean, even in some areas, I mean, emerging markets is just breaking above its 2008 highs, I believe. So that's 12 years. I think that we are much closer to the beginning of a global bull market than we are to the end of, you know, running. I, I don't think we're going to run out of steam. Right. All, all the evidence continues to, to go that way. You know, now maybe U.S. equities underperform, but I think that this will be a multi-year and I stay at, you know, stocks below February highs that that thesis is done. But yeah, it's, it's a very binary thing. I mean, we're going to use price levels and and the February um, 2020 highs is what I'm referring to there. Right. And so it, below that, I think all that's off the table. But I think over the next months and years, you know, I'm not talking about the next decade, but I think that there's a lot of bullish, a lot of bullish price action to finish out 2020 and to overcome what happened earlier in the year. Like, it's not like we were, we grinded right, you know, through this, it was an easy trend. I mean, we had to overcome, a, you know, a, a panic V bottom to get there. Well, and I would say what's interesting about that is we'll be able to look back at, at these charts, you know, supply and demand and look at the capitulation back in March. And yeah. that was that was when you started seeing a lot of these relationships change internationally. Rates, you name it. Back in March, when everybody was selling everything, that was... I know there's, you know, I don't want to use a loaded term, but that was a, a, a reset in, in a sense where all of a sudden from that point forward, we've seen different things lead than had been in the past. And so completely agree. All the evidence continues, you know, we, we how many times have we talked about the risk spectrum and how we continue to move out on a risk spectrum. You know, are we buying South Korean stocks like crazy if, if this is a risk off environment? Are we, are we owning high yield or junk bonds over treasuries if this is a risk-off environment? Is bit, is an emerging Bitcoin, market high yield? Right. Yeah, an emerging market high yield. Are we buying high yield I mean, emerging market up debt if it's, it's risk-off? And like, I don't know. I mean, when did 
Bitcoin eventually break above 20,000. We're going to call it 20,000. I know that the peak wasn't 20,000. It was 18 or, or 19, whatever it was. But so since December 15th, less than a month, about three weeks, Bitcoin is up 107%. Yeah. I mean, and how, and how, you know, and it had run up just in November. In November, let's say mid, the middle of October through the middle of December, so two months, it was up over 60%. Broke above the highs from December 2017 and then tacked on another 100% gain on top of that. Yeah, and it's momentum. It's that's momentum. They never say something's gone too far. Oh, it, it just looks like it's gone too far. Yep, and and people say that and always say go further, are, right? You know, because you hear people say, "Oh, something so and something's extended" or or something like that. I don't I don't know what that means. I I, I don't know how something is extended. So, very interesting related to that. I kind of want to touch base on something that, you know, Bitcoin sometimes isn't easily accessible and you can use an ETF for that. Ethereum is another crypto, but you have to know what you own, right? Because not all ETFs match what's going on with the crypto that they're trying to represent. That's true. That's true. Um... I don't want to slam the ETF creators because I know they're trying to do the, their they're job trying to on do this. all they can do. I mean, the SEC won't allow a, you know, a true Bitcoin ETF, kind of what they have now are ETNs. Essentially, it's essentially a closed-in fund. Right. And yeah, you know, we saw the Ethereum ETF move in the opposite direction. I think it was down eighteen percent, while Ethereum was up forty percent. So, if you were right on your thesis but wrong on your chosen vehicle, then I guess that kind of makes you wrong. When we end. Right. Exactly. So we continue to see risk, out on, you know, position taking or risk taking out on the risk spectrum, whether it's emerging markets, high yield debt, those types of areas. We continue to see U.S. stocks appreciate what areas in U.S. stocks are showing that that relative strength that, that we like to look at. Gosh, I mean, lots of, I mean, you've got metals and mining is still strong. Software, obviously I'd mentioned banks, very strong week. Semiconductors. Yeah, the Bellwether, Bell, um, Bellwether Semiconductors continues to be. Fang uh, stocks continue to bumble around. So it's still been small caps, both, both small cap growth and small cap value. Healthcare has actually had a nice rebound on a relative basis. Mm -hmm. um, and they've really needed, and that's in large part to do with pharma. Pharmaceutical stocks have turned around. They were a, they have been a headwind for a while. So we'll see if that can turn around and become a tailwind. But yeah, energy energy stocks have started off the year strong. I was a little skeptical as if we'd see the continued buying there in the new year, but we have. Um, well, and you, when you look underneath the surface, right, how, how many things in that area now have some pretty good setups going for them, whether that sticks or not, we'll see. But 
we continue to see new highs established, not new all-time highs in some of these names, but a, a sequence of higher highs and higher lows that since the, since the March low. So that's that's a that's a positive development for that area for sure. Um, I think wrapping up this portion of the podcast before we go to the extended portion, I just want to touch base probably on, you know, we've talked about rates in the past and how we were watching those closely because they were compressing on the verge of breaking out upward. They did that. So that was a, a bigger development in, in markets. The other one I know we're watching right now is the dollar. The dollar. Yes. Big and, implications with the dollar. Yeah, absolutely. Always. And so we're sitting currently at 90 in DXY. We've, we've touched 89, the 88 level, pretty important. That goes back to early 2018. If we're breaking below that, like you said, major ramifications, if we're both breaking below a level like 88 on DXY, which would continue to be a tailwind for international. But as you noted, right now, this would be a logical place for the dollar to get accumulated on the, on, and so we'll see, we'll watch that. That's something we're watching closely to, to see how that might affect other I areas could, of the market. I think you could see a, now it does have kind of a shorter term bullish divergence. I think you could see a bounce here over the next few weeks in the dollar. Longer term, I think we're still at the beginning of a, it would seem to me we're still at the beginning of a, could be a pretty long downtrend, multi-month, multi-year, but obviously there will be counter trends in between. But yes, it has it has been weak recently. We'll see how it finishes out the month. Obviously, yeah. we know that miners, um, base metals, your and foreign stocks have all been strong, which is usually what we'd see in a weak dollar. Yeah. No, and and like you said, it's it's on a precipice. We could see a break breakdown here in the next month, maybe two months, and that has ramifications, or it's accumulated from this point forward and, and moving higher in a range between that 88 and you know 103 that's also a possibility we'll see time and price always know more than we do so with that i want to wrap up the uh, client portion i appreciate you uh, covering for me next friday for the podcast i won't be in, i won't be uh, available so thank you for doing that everyone else thank you for a great 2020 and we're looking forward to a great 2021 have a great weekend, everyone. All right, Ian, heading into the extended portion of the podcast, we kind of hinted at it before with talking about rates, et cetera, and what we're seeing out of treasuries. But it's a pretty sig significant development this week when we look at you know, something like TLT on a big picture perspective breaking below, let's call it 155, if we like to use round numbers, and doing it in a pretty aggressive fashion and breaking the rate of trend that goes all the way back to November 2018. Mm -hmm. That's it. And it fits the classic mold, right? Because how it wasn't that long ago where everybody was talking about negative rates. And I so mean... Long-term treasuries are kind of swimming out in the middle of nowhere. They have lost diagonal support. They have lost horizontal support. They are in no man's land. And that's usually not a great sign.
on a, on a relative basis, something like TLT versus SPX or the S&P 500 touched today exactly where it was at its prior low back in October of 2018. Now I suppose, oh, I'm sorry, it didn't get that, that far yet, but it's close. It's close. It's close with a potential RSI divergence there, but I don't, I don't know. I did. It's, it's, it's notable that on an absolute basis, treasuries have broken, broken down below that 155 level on something like TLT. And, you know, obviously with rates breaking up, probably the most significant development. What's the other, when you think about the bond complex, right? Mm -hmm. we, we talk about treasuries a fair amount, but if we, if we were to look at them broadly, is there a place or an index or an ETF that you'd like to look at for that? And for U.S. bonds, I would just say the Barclays Ag. I mean, I think that's kind of your S&P of the fixed income space, the U.S. fixed income space. Yeah, if you're a technician out there, you know, and you, you want to look at something fixed income, you're going to compare it to... And that's ADG. what I run my relative strength against. I don't... A lot of people do their relative strength against treasuries i don't because that's to me part of the overall like treasuries munis corporates right hips i mean lots of there's lots of different aspects so treasuries is just kind of one of those sleeves of what i would consider the overall bond arena so yeah i just use the uh the ag for that which is kind of looking a little shaky itself right it's right at this 117 level on agg if it breaks below that you'd be recording a new low uh or now lower that level. is well below it's such you know we know we do know that long-term treasuries have been strong this one of the stronger areas of the fixed income space because the aggregate on a relative basis against stocks is well below those uh, October, early October 2018 lows. Yeah. And I mean, and below the February 2020 lows. Right. And that has, that has impact on whether it's modern portfolio theory and the 60 40 portfolio, seeing a broad basket like the Barclays egg, if that were to break down here. It'd be it'd be a notable event. It'd be information that we definitely want to pay attention to, especially mm -hmm. following what the, what treasuries have done. And then one of the ratios I like to look at for risk on risk, risk off is something like high yield, you know, like HYG, and compare it to you know something that I guess would have similar duration, like a seven to ten yeah. year treasury bond. I think you always want to make sure that you have similar duration now for but yeah between your comparisons and i think yeah what is ief is seven to ten year yeah yeah and so you know it's it is notable to see that hyg on a relative basis versus something like ief is is making new relative highs since mm -hmm. the lows so we continue to record a sequence of higher highs and higher lows and that's risk on it matches some of the other things that we've been seeing and, and talking about we've you know you've talked about a the, the start of a new leg higher uh, 
that has a some length to it, some potentially some veracity to it. Stocks are down one. Stocks are down about down one uh, percent since I said that. So if I <laughs> if 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 I rang the top live on the podcast, then so be it, man. So be it. Yeah, we. I kid. I kid. I kid. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, but we should also be have the ability to be contrary minded, meaning the ability to be flexible and understand where that thesis that you were talking about would be wrong. So what are some levels that we're looking at, whether it's on the S and P 500, it could be on the NASDAQ, you, you name it. What are some areas or levels or things that you would be looking at that would put that thesis into question and maybe even flip the thesis to either a short-term correction or something more? I think earlier I had said the September, you know, I think if you're below the February 2020 highs, then especially from, you know, where were we this morning? Above 3,800. That's pretty, that's pretty sketchy. I would say shorter term, you know, the September highs, 35, 80-ish, 35, 70 like in in that area on the S&P you took the Russell 2000 I think below 1700 right it's kind of the 2018 highs now again these are what is I mean that's those and those are hard. Kind of le- le- what, level those are like you know S and P. You mentioned a level that's about fifteen or I'm sorry, ten percent. So that's away. what I was going to say. That's the Russell thing. Russell seventeen percent away. That's you know with buying new highs, you want this is why you want to get in as close to the breakout as possible because we could have a very normal and very healthy. Uh, 15% correction in something like the Russell 2000 over the first half of this year. And the long-term thesis would still be very valid. Right. And I mean, you could have, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a comfortable feeling, but you, you could have the S and P 500 even go down and test the, the 3250 area. And that would be about 14%. Well, and I, and I feel like that's what everyone's kind of, it does kind of feel like we're in a moment of the market where we are, I mean, this has been a very strong run and this has been a grinding run. And at um, the same to- time, Ian, though, what have we talked, I think we've brought it up three weeks in a row now. What's the one thing we haven't seen happening with S&P 500? RSI. We're not, it still isn't true. overbought. Right? Still not overbought. Obviously, the Russell very, very strong in regards to now. It has a short-term divergence here, going back to late December. But yeah, and Dow Jones hasn't gotten overbought. The Nasdaq, the Nasdaq did. I mean, back early December, it nicked seventy barely. And 70, right. I mean, that's 70 that's is it. 70. We're not, right. yeah, yeah, that's, so we're not going to, I shouldn't use the term barely. That's, and I've, I've actually seen people, I actually saw someone one time, this was a couple, this was a few years ago where they were talking about stocks being 
quote unquote overbought based on RSI. And they actually pointed out that RSI hadn't gone to 70. They had got it is only at 68 or 69, but that in essence it was still overbought. And I was kind of like, no, it's nope. You you can't you can't There's have a, a number and then you don't get to the one goal line and then the referee is like, well, touchdown. Yeah, you're a yard short, but you we'll know, give it to you. Uh, you essentially got here. Nice yeah. drive, guys. Yeah, you guys look good in uniform. You the, the yeah, football across good. the Just one yard for, line. Forget about this last yard. We'll call it good. Everybody go home. Nothing to see here. So, but yeah, I mean, and the Nasdaq is. I mean, these have been grinding and we saw and we talked about seeing breath fall off but then breath kind of bounced back earlier this week in fact we had i think back to back an 80 percent day and a 78 percent day now we had a tuesday was 77 percent wednesday yeah and wednesday and 80 percent so strong breath and participation Right. And, and that, and that needed to happen because right. What some of the things we're seeing out of some of the bigger cap names, and I guess I'm going to pick on one because we've seen some strength in the, in the mega cap space, but like, for example, Amazon, when you look at it on a relative basis versus the S and P 500, right. That it's been 19% opportunity cost since July on something like that. And we're below what I would consider important, on a daily time frame levels in that relationship. Now that doesn't mean it's over long term for something like that. And the market uh, has it in the hip pocket if that were if that relationship were to turn higher. But it's notable that a company with the size of Amazon that does have a market impact is recording new relative lows on the on versus something like the S&P 500. It is and isn't it amazing that with Amazon going out at new relative, so today, new relative lows, that consumer discretionary has been as strong as it has been. Yeah, which means it consumer, has to be. Consumer discretionary, which is, if we use XLY, which is like 2022 somewhere. You're going to look at Coifin uh, holdings on that one? I like I'm going to go off the top of my head. Yeah, let's it's see. It's definitely see. the largest wedding. Maybe like 18, 20, 22%. Anyways. You're going to guess definitely 18, 20. A ma- major weighting. Yeah, 21%. 21%. 21 Yeah. So you've got, look at Amazon breaking Ooh. down with, discre- with discretionary almost back to all-time relative highs after it had been pretty blah th- since late October. I think, And I think... I think you're going to guess this, Ian, I think. And I, I, I apologize for putting you on the spot, but I just, once you see it, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So within consumer discretionary, something like XLY, you know, you're really yeah. close, like you were really close. Amazon's like 21% waiting. What do you think the stock is that's really picked up the slack? Oh, consumer discretionary as well, then it would have to be. I think about the other holdings. Yeah, I'm sorry that I'm putting. Be, I'm sorry. It have I'm putting, to be te- it's Tesla. Yeah, it's Tesla. It's Tesla. Yeah, which has a 17% weighting now. Jeez, Louise. Yeah, that's. Yeah, because I mean, it's not Home Depot. It's not McDonald's. Nike's has been okay. 
And it, and it's contributed a thousand basis points. But those are too small. For the past wow. three months. Wouldn't that be amazing if Tesla overtook Amazon? Now it still has a lot of work to do. I mean, Amazon's been king of this ETF for a long, long time. So, but yeah, hey, that's price appreciation for you. Well, I like to have fun. And basically what's interesting is is from November 2020, if you take a relationship like Tesla versus Amazon, look at that chart. Well, that and I guess it's amazing. new. I guess it's new to that ETF because it's now in the S&P. I mean, how long has has Tesla been in that has I don't been know. consumer discretionary? I don't know. Because if it's S&P, and that means they're using S&P holdings... It's, it looks like December 20, Christmas Eve. Let me confirm this. That's when they added it to the index? Uh, that's the when they added it to S&P 500, it looks like. People can fact check us on that. That's no problem. I mean, we don't have to Anyways, on interesting. That. But yes, to see clearly Tesla, as it has been in many other funds, quite the savior. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, just, it's just so interesting that that one has... In, that you can <clears throat> compare those two, you know, you can look at Tesla versus Amazon and that's quite obvious. You know, I think a, another one in that area that's picked up the, the slack too has been Nike. Nike has been strong, you know, on, on, a, on a relative basis, but yeah. So consumer discretionary holding up, doing well, even while something like Amazon is, is showing relative weakness. Again, that's in the hip pocket. If, Am if Amazon were to, you know, see important levels reclaimed or move out of this consolidation that it's been in since July, that would be mm -hmm. extremely powerful for both consumer discretionary and the market overall. I agree. I think transport's hitting new highs today. Now they faded a little bit with the rest of the market, but a positive sign as well. Although transport, so if we, let's say we use IYT, uh, also did not get overbought at all through November or December. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, things like home construction continue to consolidate after having quite a run. So, yeah, that's interesting. So these are all things that it makes sense to pay attention to. You know, if you're thinking about the... Chinese the, stock's still strong. Yeah. China. Chinese internet going out at all-time highs today. Emerging market consumer discretion or internet and e-commerce going out at all-time highs today. Chinese consumer discretionary all-time highs. That's really been where bulk. Now that's of course how China will help emerging markets. But emerging markets has a lot going for it, right? It now. does. It, it not only does it have China, it has India, South Korea, Latin America. Yeah, South Korea. You name it in the emerging market space, so and it's it's all working together right now. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, and again, that goes back to is that risk off behavior? No. Uh, but the the point of this segment was just to talk about the potentials of, of things that we'd be looking for. You know, I know you mentioned uh, levels on the, you know, for example, on the S and P five hundred. You know, for me, the first the first little warning shot would be something as simple below thirty six fifty. You know, if we're closing on a daily basis below that level, 
we can uh, start having discussions about how much scaling back needs to be done on, on behalf of, of clients. And in the end, that's what we're going to do. We're going to continue to stay disciplined to price, adapt with what the market gives us, regardless of what the narrative or political scene or you name it, what the next great thing is that they're talking about on TV. Regardless of that, we're going to stay disciplined to price. It's the only thing we got. I will say that the NASDAQ versus Russell 2000, as horrible as this downtrend has been for the last uh, four, four and a half months. Since September? Is that what you're talking still about? N- yeah, still not oversold. This is a positive. If there, is. if tech, if tech is has any fight, if it's gonna pull Rocky Balboa and come back, yeah, I'd like to see that relationship. It could do somebody. it. Yeah. Although we had, we've been, we've had. It tried to reclaim that 1.59 level on QQQ versus IWM. Going at the, going into the new year. They, they, tried to, they tried to do it and they faked faked people out with the holiday was, week. And then the uh, Wednesday, Wednesday was just a massive spread between small caps and the NASDAQ. So now kind of, now. yeah, they're trying to reclaim that. Still some work to do. I mean, this is, def- this is very clear lower lows and lower highs. The Russell 2000 is 100% still in the lead. It's also still in the lead against the S&P. It is still in the lead against emerging markets. Actually, that has stepped back a little bit recently. Well, I know, I know one. Well, for, first things first, I, you know, for us, I know we'd look at a level like 1.59 on the QQQ versus IWM. We'd want to see that reclaimed before. We recrown big cap tech. And, yeah. you know, I know I, I want, I did want to pivot to a, a chart that I believe was shared on the adaptive Twitter. That's really an interesting and important relationship, which is emerging markets versus QQQ. And mm-hmm. if that's not a base building, a, you know, an accumulation in favor of emerging markets, I mean, this is what it would look like. You know, if you're a technician out there and you want to pull it up. And we're there okay. today. We're right there. A little fake out recently, but back above today. Yeah. I mean, so it's, that it's, is. It's right there. And that and that could be, it doesn't and have it to And it had a good out. approach. Yeah. It's had a good approach. You're still in a, in a downtrend, but this is truly a. It's a great approach to a horizontal boundary. Yeah, and um, I would say we never got this in 2016. Right. Um, the last time emerging markets were this strong, they kind of fizzled out really against uh, – and this is why I go back. I think this is potentially stronger than what we 2016. I think that this is the closest we've – this is the most evidence we've ever had that says – we could go back to a um, 2003, 2008 type scenario where there's, it's just a little bit more inflationary rising rates. um, All the areas we mentioned earlier in the podcast, financials, foreign stocks, energy materials, 
For sure. I don't know. I don't know. This is how you would draw it up. This this type of this approach is, to a, a horizontal boundary in this relationship and breaking a rate of trend, uh, a down rate of trend. And so we'll see. Time will tell. This is also could just be a very nice consolidation until we continue to the downside in that relationship. So we really have important. another seven years of the NASDAQ right. outperforming. Right. Could happen. So important inflection point right there. Important inflection point on the dollar. We saw an inflection point in rates that broke to the upside this week. That's important information. We continue to see Bitcoin rip. We continue to see demand for international stocks and demand out on the risk spectrum. Bitcoin very, very strong. Yeah. And it, so we continue to see uh, risk on behavior. We're open to uh, a corrective market below certain levels. Uh, evidence just continues to build. We've highlighted it here. So I, I kind of want to wrap up, wrap this present. Ian, anything you want to close with before we close it down? No, I would continue to say that this is a pretty strong market and fighting through bearish RSI divergences is a sign of a strong bull market. And that is what we've seen now. There will come a time where risk needs to be taken off the table, but from a strict support and resistance level or point of view, we, I mean, today, let's say if stocks closed here today, right now, we're down, um, you know, now we're at, I guess we're a little bit off the lows, but if stocks had closed down half a percent today, that changes no one's thesis. Correct. Or at least it doesn't change our, th I'm, it, right. that does, we're still up, what, how, how much this week? Um, right, this is the first, still, five, first five days of January and it would still be positive. Yes, absolutely. So fits the seasonality. We continue to see those characteristics line up. So totally agree. Evidence is on the side of the bulls here. We'll see and we'll let price dictate going forward, open-minded to everything. So with that, Ian, I appreciate it. I know you're going to have some nice treats on 2020 highlights next week for next week's podcast. I appreciate you covering for me while I'm gone. And for all of us here at Adaptive, we appreciate you guys listening. And to Nabisco, please bring back Apple Fig Newtons. Have a great weekend, everyone.